you have to decide what you're willing to give to sport, and that is what you'll get out of it. I think the sports are very giving in the sense that if you give to it, then it will most definitely give back to you. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast over 14 years, 500 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us on a very special edition of Sports Business Radio. It is the 14th anniversary of Sports Business Radio. I can't believe it's been 14 years. We started back in 2004 on local radio in Portland, Oregon. Now we have a global audience. I hear from people all over the world via Twitter, via email. It's really cool. Um, So many people to thank for our success. I co-founded the show back in 2004 with my Loyola Marymount college roommate and broadcast partner, Keith Foreman. Uh, you're going to hear a clip that includes him coming up in a moment. Bobby Corser was our first producer and certainly wouldn't be where we are today without him. Nathan Roach was my co-host for a stint. Now he works at Adidas overseeing tennis sports marketing. Josh Blank is my business partner, does a lot of stuff behind the scenes. And of course... Our executive producer, Brian Griggs, who makes our show go today. Griggs, 14 years. Uh, I can't believe. I mean, I didn't have a daughter. My daughter's 13. <laughs> That's crazy. When we first started the show, I didn't have a child. Now she's 13. It's just crazy if I put it in that perspective. Well, you think about radio and you look at shows that are in the, on the radio. They're on the radio for a year, maybe two years, and people move around. You got your big names, sure, you know. But 14 years doing the same thing and having a consistent, uh, you know, listen, listener, you know, base and it's growing and, and the guests we've had are, are massive and huge and it's fun to see it grow and, and develop and, you know, with the podcast world now, I think we were podcasting before podcasting was even a word. Well, and that's where Josh Blank comes in. Yeah. I remember in 2007 when iTunes started podcasting and we were doing our radio show and he said, Hey, we need to throw the show up for on demand listening on podcast. And I'm like, podcast? What is that? And he goes, you know those things, iPods? Well, <laughs> that's what a podcast is. You can listen nice. on demand. I'm like, that's cool because a lot of people aren't listening to the radio live. It gives them the ability to go back and listen yeah. on demand, which was really cool. Um, but I didn't know what a podcast was. And so we've been on that train since the very beginning. And that's part of the reason we've built a nice global audience as well. I get asked all the time, Griggs, who are your favorite guests that you've had on? And we've had so many amazing guests. Our first guest was David Stern. So he's got to be one of them. When we sat down with him in 2016 in person at Players Tribune in New York, 90 minutes face to face. That's definitely one of my all time favorite interviews. Uh, Jeannie Buss was great when we sat down with her at USC. Jack Nicholas, how can you not That's be in awe of, yeah. of that man? And that was just gold, 20 minutes of gold. Mark Cuban yeah. is on my list. But so many great athletes, people I looked up to when I was a kid, Sugar Ray Leonard, Ryan Sandberg, Dale Murphy, Roger Staubach. Uh, we've had Kyrie Irving and Damian Lillard on. So many amazing guests over the last 14 years. Sometimes I pinch myself and go, gosh, 
those people took the time out of their busy schedule to join us and talk to us. And, you know, they all have businesses, whether it's Jack Nicholas and his golf course design or Sugar Ray Leonard and Oscar De La Hoya being boxing promoters or Kyrie Irving promoting his off-the-court interests, Steve Nash, Charles Barkley, so many people. But Griggs, one of the most outstanding moments in our show's history happened in year one, in 2004. Again, we came out of the box strong. David Stern, ESPN.com did a story on us. Hey, it's a sports business radio show. Is this thing going to work? Well, 14 years later, it has. We just tweeted that story link out uh, recently, if you follow me on SB Radio on Twitter. Um, but John McEnroe, was one of our early guests. And I love John McEnroe. He's candid. You know, he's very much in the Charles Barkley mode. And Keith Foreman, my former co-host and co-founder of Sports Business Radio, he and I are sitting in the studio. We're interviewing John McEnroe, who's covering the French Open. He's in Paris, and he's in his hotel room. And, you know, John McEnroe is a fun dude, but he starts telling us about his love of music and who he would love to be on stage with. And, you know, so we ask him, as you'll hear from this clip, do you have your guitar with you? And he's like, I just happen to have it right here in my room. Here's what ensued. Do you have your guitar with you right now? I actually have my guitar with me right now. And um, could you um, take us out with a little uh, number? Um, Sure. You got it. I mean, if you want me to ruin your radio show, oh, no. I'll be more than willing to do this. This would be I'm priceless. Gonna... Okay. Well, this is this is going to be an acoustic version Fine. Of, um, of a song. But let's see. What do you want? A heavy metal or like a rock and roll song or yeah, something more mellow? Stone, something Keith Richards like is okay, fun. Okay. Let's get. Uh, why don't we try a little Jimi Hendrix Purple Haze? Okay? Nice. nice. Try to listen carefully. Here we go. Now, is this... Will don't, you be, I don't know if you should put that out on Portland radio, but anyway. Well, we'll give it a shot. So that was one of my favorite moments in the last 14 years on Sports Business Radio. One of those spontaneous, priceless moments, Griggs, that uh, live radio, it didn't ruin our show, if anything. <laughs> it, it certainly enhanced it. That clip got picked up and played by a lot of people. But it just shows you, like... The personality of John McEnroe and the fun that we have on this show. A lot of people thought when we started Sports Business Radio, they're like, oh, those guys are going to talk stock reports and <laughs> stock prices and it's going to be in the weeds on the financials. No, really what this show is, it's talking to successful people, whether it's business people or athletes, finding out their path to success, finding out why they've made some of the decisions that they've made. And Conducting long-form interviews, as we're going to do today with WNBA legend Tina Thompson, and finding out kind of what makes them tick. And, and I love having the ability to have long-form interviews here on this podcast. Well, and that's what's cool, too, with the podcast side of it is because there is no time limit, you know, and that makes it fun. You can really dig into stuff. And 
the thing I love about our show is that we don't just talk the ESPN snip little snippets, you know, not the 10 hot second takes. bite. Yeah, the hot takes. Hot takes. And it's not X's and O's. It's not, you know, this kind of stuff. It's more about what their personality is, their life, what they're doing, what their business ventures are, the stuff you don't hear about from anybody else. And that's even like when we had Kyrie on, we talk more about, you know, his, you know, endorsements and things he's doing off the court right. rather than just playing hoops. Yeah. So I think that's a side that is really cool because you get to know these people, you know, and, and you hear, you hear things. And they're comfortable sharing because your platform and the respect they have for you, and it just helps them share, and you get to learn a lot about the uh, people. You know, I've studied a lot of interviewers over my life, and uh, Howard Stern, someone who inspired me. People may laugh, but, you know. He's great. People come on Howard Stern's show, and they go, I'm not going to talk about my divorce. I'm not going (laughs) to talk about my sex life. I'm not." And by the end of the interview, they've talked about all of it. (laughs) Howard Stern. Is very good at kind of putting you on that couch mm-hmm. and getting you relaxed and then getting you to open up. And I feel like I've got a similar relationship with some of the people that we have on this show because, you know, they see I've done my homework. They see that this is a relaxed conversation. I'm not trying to get them in the gotcha sound clip that right. goes viral and, and make them look bad. Uh, it's a really candid conversation, and, and I appreciate the fact that they open up with me and thus with you, the audience. On our show today, Tina Thompson, I ran into her last week in New York at the WNBA draft, 17-year WNBA icon, the first ever pick in the WNBA draft in 1997, four-time WNBA champion with the Houston Comets, two-time Olympic gold medalist, nine-time WNBA All-Star. She's an associate head coach with the University of Texas Longhorns now. And, you know, if you look up WNBA, I don't know if there's a more accomplished player in the history of the league than Tina Thompson. She also, and we're going to get into this, as I just learned in the last two weeks, is a close friend of our friend David Fisdale, the NBA head coach. They grew up in the same apartment complex in (laughs) inner city L.A. How crazy (laughs) is that if you look at their two paths? So we're going to talk about that relationship as well. But Griggs, uh, it was great being in Chicago two weeks ago and then in New York last week. Going back to Chicago, I took my daughter to Wrigley Field. Uh, we saw Soldier Field. Uh, we did some non-sports things as well. We went to some Bulls games, which was really fun for her. The Bulls treated her wonderfully. Thank you to them. But uh, that was a great trip. She got to have some Chicago deep dish pizza. We went okay. up to the Willis Tower, formerly the Sears Tower. We went to the aquarium. So that was her spring break trip, which was a lot of fun. And then I was in New York last week solo. And uh, doing some work with the WNBA, went to the draft. The draft was at the new Nike building in Manhattan, and really impressive six-story building that Nike has. They did the draft on a basketball court, so they covered that up. But, you know, really phenomenal facility there for Nike right in the heart of Manhattan. I thought the draft looked really good. It was on ESPN2. Uh, lots of professionalism around that. I got to stop in and see our friends at Twitter, had lunch there. I went to the Players' Tribune to check in with them since the Sports PR Summit is there next month on May 22nd. If you haven't signed up for that, go to sportsprsummit.com. And then uh, I went to MKTG, and they are one of our partners and saw their offices, and they have a really impressive setup. We may have an announcement with MKTG regarding a show in New York next month, so stay tuned for that. But uh, Griggs, thank you so much for your work that you've done 
over the last, I think, 2010 is when you yeah. joined us. So eight years, and uh, you know the show sounds great. You do such great work. And, uh, you know, I hope we have at least 14 more years. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy being with it, and we have a lot of fun on our trips. It's funny you were talking about Chicago. Our, my phone was blowing up. You kept sending pictures of pizza <laughs> and all this ice cream and all these things. Uh, I'm like, why am I not there? Because I haven't been to Chicago yet. New York I'm looking forward to. I'll be at the Sports Pair Summit next uh, next month, and that'll be fun. And, you know, there's lots of stuff going on. Every month it feels like we got something big going on or some, you know, guest coming on or a trip or an event. It's fun. It's, uh, it's, a, growing, uh, it's a growing podcast, and it's fun to be a part of it. So I know all of you out there have tech. Chains. One of my text chains is with Griggs, uh, Cameron Sandage, who is my branding and art director for Sports PR Summit, and then Brad Kinzer, my friend and photographer for Sports PR Summit, Sports Business Radio Roadshows. So, yeah, I was texting you guys food <laughs> and all the sites, and you know, now you guys get to go with me uh, next month to New York, so that'll be fun. Yep. All right, coming up next, Tina Thompson. A WNBA legend. She is about to enter the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in September. She is as classy as they come. And we're going to talk to her about the state of women's sports, basketball in general, the growth of the WNBA, and those legendary teams that she played on. The Houston Comets won four WNBA titles in a row. I ran into her in New York last week. I'll bring you a conversation with Tina Thompson coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. My guest is Tina Thompson. She played in the WNBA for 17 years, four-time WNBA champion, two-time Olympic gold medalist, nine-time WNBA All-Star. She's now the associate head coach of the University of Texas Longhorns. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at I am Tina Thompson. Tina, it was so great seeing you in New York at the WNBA draft last week. How are you? I'm doing great. Things are well. So... I got to ask you, you just found out recently that you're being inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. You'll go in this September. When you were growing up as a little girl, did you ever dream that someday you'd make it to the Hall of Fame? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> I don't think that anyone that's in the Hall of Fame actually dreamed of that. Like, it's it's just not something that you can even fathom, like... Yeah, I mean, even today, I've had, you know, weeks now to just kind of, like, wrap my head around it, and it's still just, you know, every time I think about it or someone congratulates me, I'm like, wow, I cannot 
believe it. I cannot believe it. It's just incredible. You know that it's possible, but yeah, I'm still processing it. That's so awesome. So I found out recently, and I told you this when I saw you in New York, one of my good friends is David Fisdale. And he said to me that he's got such a great relationship with you, like a sister. You guys grew up in the same apartment complex in Los Angeles. Tell me about how you met Coach Fizz and what that relationship has been over all these years. Well, um, Dave, he was actually really close friends with my older brother. Um, TJ and um, it was they just kind of hung out like all the time I mean I'm about three years younger than them and uh, they would always go to our uh, local recreation center and um, I was kind of curious of just you know wanting to know what they did I didn't play basketball at the time and I just kind of used basketball um, as an excuse for them to have to take me along and my (laughs) mom was kind of all for that so you know she made me um, take them along, make, you know, made them take me along with them. And, you know, I got there and it was hard. I mean, being that I kind of told a little white lie <laughs> to get there, I had to actually attempt to learn how to play and didn't enjoy it at all initially. But then, you know, I was challenged by them in a sense that, um, you know, they were just kind of telling me that I didn't belong there, that this wasn't for me, like girls just didn't do that. So I think the challenge of that and just kind of them denying me the same access that they had just kind of flipped a switch in my head. And uh, from that moment, it was proving to them that it was possible. And I then learned to love it. So, you know, I just worked not inside in the gym with them, but I was outside, you know, on the concrete courts with the metal backboards and the chain link. Uh, nets and I just practiced and practiced and practiced and then you know maybe a year or so after that you know I was competitive enough and kind of had a good enough IQ with the help of like the older uh, gentlemen that also were at the park that you know were a constant that I was allowed to kind of be in the gym but not necessarily play and then from that on from that moment on I think that they kind of recognize that I had a respect, you know, for the game and that I was learning to love it the way they already did. So they opened up the door a little bit, but my brother and both David were extremely hard on me. So did they ever invite you into one of their games or did you never get to that point? Um, they did. Well, it started because we had a summer league um, that was at the gym and it was kind of like a semi-pro league. And although David and my brother were younger, they were allowed to play because they were just really good. So they were playing in a league with older men, basically. And um, I was on actually a team. So I'm the only female, but I was a girl that was actually like on the team just because of the personality of the coach, a guy named Dana. And um, Dana put me on the team, gave me a jersey and uniform and shoes, and I sat there. I literally sat there the entire season. And um, there was one game that not everyone showed up, and we had six players, and a guy fouled out. I had to be put in the game because that was the only way we would have five players. So 
so they basically told me to that I was a release. They were going to pass me the ball, and as soon as I got it, you know, that I would pass it back to them. And I did that a couple of times, but the person, the guy that was guarding me, wasn't guarding me. Um, really close game. They passed me the ball and are screaming at me to pass it back. <laughs> <laughs> I shoot it. I shoot it. Three-point jump shot. We win the game. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the gym kind of goes crazy. It's like one of those, like, classic moments. And from that point on, although they were really upset with me, <laughs> I kind of got uh, a little bit of respect because they appreciated the fact that I didn't allow them to just kind of box me in or decide what I was going to be like, you know, like, or what the experience for me was going to be like. And from that moment on, you know, they slowly but surely allowed me to play. Upset that I disobeyed them, but at the same time, respected the fact that I was tough enough to do so. I absolutely love that story. And I know you know this, but he expressed this to me when we talked about it a week ago is Coach Fizz is so proud of you. I mean, he, he's so proud of all that you've accomplished. And, you know, he said he puts you on a pedestal. And, uh, I know that he plans on being at your induction in September. So, you know, it, it's cool that it's come full circle from, you know, the little girl that had to shoot on the concrete court outside while they were in the gym to, oh, you're, you know, in the game because we don't have anyone else. And then you hit the yeah. three pointer. And now, you know, look what you've accomplished. So let's go from there to you played high school basketball with Lisa Leslie and you played college ball with her as well. But gosh, I never saw you play high school, but I'm thinking if you and Lisa Leslie walk into the gym in high school, I'm pretty intimidated by you two uh, coming to play me on the other side. Well, Lisa and I did play in college together, but not in high school. We went to the same high school, but I'm from Los Angeles. So I actually had a got a petition to go to a Morningside High School in Inglewood. Okay. But at the time, my junior high school went to the ninth grade. So Lisa and I are three years apart. So I went to Morningside High School in the 10th grade. So I actually didn't know who she was until I got to the school. I just knew that the school had a storied kind of basketball history. And um, that's why I chose to go to that school. So I was literally kind of taking, you know, the city bus from Los Angeles to um, Inglewood to actually go to that school. So I think that um, someone literally, I guess, kind of typed that up like years ago. And it's something that people just kind of assume and carried. But we didn't actually play together until my freshman year at USC, and I actually met her the summer before my freshman year. Okay. So you played it? Yeah, it was rather intimidating. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Well, in USC, my gosh, so many storied basketball teams at University of Southern California. So you play there. You have great success at USC. Let's fast forward to 1997, because what I've read, and you can tell me if this is true or not, it's 1997, you're graduating from USC, and you're kind of at this crossroads. You have an opportunity to be a player in the WNBA, which is just starting up, or mm -hmm. you could go to law school. 
How yeah. did how did you make that decision? That's a tough decision there. And I would imagine law school probably pays a little bit more than uh you know what you'd be earning in the WNBA year one. Well, I mean, literally I was sitting when I got the call from the WNBA, I was sitting in my Kaplan class, like studying for or preparing for the LSAT. So um I literally um, was kind of freaked out that I'm in class and my phone was ringing because everyone that knew me well knew that, you know, I was in class, my friends, my family. So, you know, I'm thinking, who is calling me, <laughs> you know, at this time? Right. So I just kind of, you know, fumbled and, you know, apologized to my professor and turned my phone off. And then once I got out of class, a little frustrated, you know, I'm going to answer the phone, I mean, you know, and listen to the voicemail and see who, you know, who it was. And um, it was Renee Brown, who was the um, second in command and director of player personnel at the WNBA. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> so, of course, I'm open to conversation. And um, I immediately, one of my really good friends was Keyshawn Johnson, and he played football at USC. Right. And um, I went to him because he was being drafted or he had been drafted, and I asked him just about the process and um, how did he select an agent and all that kind of stuff. And he said, you know, I have the perfect guy for you. For you, Jerome Stanley is an alumni of uh, alumnus of USC, and he is great. I chose him as my agent, and I trusted Keyshawn. You know, I met with Jerome the next day, and then um, I hired him, and then he was a part of the process of me choosing to play in the WNBA or not. So Jerome and I went through the process, and literally he kind of walked me through every single step every time he had a conversation, which was now that I know is probably not necessarily the way, a little unethical, but he was kind of teaching me that I was a part of the conversations when he was negotiating and talking and, you know, me kind of hearing and under understanding the process, which I totally learned a lot. But um, I declined initially. You know, I was totally excited about it, and then they told me the number. And it was somewhere around, like, 30-something, the mid-30,000. Right. And I was just like, okay, that wouldn't even pay for my scholarship for one year at the University of Southern California. Um, how am I going to do this? I can't play for law school. I can't live in California comfortably for that amount. I literally think it was kind of below the poverty line, the amount. So I declined, and I just went, Jerome, I'm going back you know, to study and let me know if anything changes. I left the office and he was like, Tina, like, where are you going? And I went, I can't entertain this. Like as much as it sounds great, like I can't entertain it. So what got you from that point to obviously changing your mind where you became the number one overall pick in the first WNBA draft in 1997? a lot of conversation and a lot of negotiating on Jerome's side. I continued to go to my Kaplan classes and, you know, study and prepare for the LSAT. Um, but Jerome, he literally worked and 
uh, you know, I, I told him and even spoke with the WNBA. It's like, look, I've done my history and um, professional sports for women in America have not fared well. Like they all have failed miserably up until this point. I understand that the WNBA is backed by the NBA, but, you know, who knows? This is a big risk. And I've literally prepared all my life to go to a fine university basketball, you know, as one of my tools to do so and to prepare to go to law school, do well, and ultimately become a judge. And um, so I'm not going to take a risk on my future. Like, this is something that I've wanted to do all my life. So it has to be a decision. It has to be something worth doing so. So they um, offered me significantly more (laughs) a nice six-figure amount that I felt that, you know, I could play for a few years, three to five. I could save enough money. I could um, use that to pay for law school. I wouldn't have any student loans, and that sounded like a great plan to me. So I literally agreed at the 23rd hour. I took a red eye out to uh, New York, and we were in the studios in uh, Secaucus, New Jersey, the next day. So it literally happened within like a 36-hour time stand. We'll return to our conversation after a word from our sponsor. Reserve your spot for the 2018 Sports PR Summit presented by the Players' Tribune on Tuesday, May 22nd at the Players' Tribune headquarters in New York City. The Sports PR Summit brings together elite athletes, national media members, and senior PR and social media executives for panel discussions, featured conversations, and networking opportunities. The event allows PR execs to lead with a better understanding of the elite athletes, owners, commissioners, and national media people they're working with. The event also allows attendees to see Derek Jeter's one-of-a-kind digital publishing company, The Players' Tribune, up close, as well as network with top Players' Tribune executives. Past Sports PR Summit speakers include NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, NASCAR legend Jeff Gordon, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, NFL stars Anquan Bolden and Demarcus Ware, Cleveland Cavaliers all-star Isaiah Thomas, WNBA legend Lisa Leslie, ESPN reporters Tom Rinaldi and Jeremy Schapp, and Sports Illustrated executive editor and 60 Minutes correspondent John Wartime. The Sports PR Summit has sold out each of its first five years, and there are only 125 spots. Reserve your spot today by going online to sportsprsummit.com. Follow the Sports PR Summit on Twitter and Instagram at Sports PR Summit. I hope to see you on May 22nd at the Players' Tribune in New York City. Now back to our conversation. So you're the number one pick. You're selected by the Houston Comets. And again, this is year one of this league. So like you said, some people are like, well, I know it's backed by the NBA, but how long is this league going to be around? So fast forward four years later, you and Cheryl Swoops and Cynthia Cooper really form like the WNBA's first big three. You guys win four titles in a row, just yeah. dominate. I mean, I remember watching you guys, and I told you this when I saw you last week. You guys just killed people. I mean, you guys, you guys were so good. I, enjoy, I mean, I, I gotta say, like, I enjoyed watching you play every bit as much as I enjoyed watching the Houston Rockets or any other NBA team at that time. And the chemistry the three of you had, I would imagine after you've won four in a row, like your first four years in the league, you're probably looking back going, pretty good decision I made 
WNBA <laughs> over law school, right? Absolutely. You know, it was it was the right choice. I mean, it literally turned out to be so much more than I could have ever imagined. You know, like I just absolutely unbelievable. Like there was there's no way to kind of describe the experience. I mean, we were not even picked to actually make it to the playoffs that year. Mm-hmm. So to then go through the, the season and win our first championship and continue to win for a consecutive, just not something that happens like often. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not something that you plan, but just not something that even the best teams in the world do. So, yeah, it was an incredible experience. But the coolest thing about that is that although we were looked overlooked by everyone else, we knew as a team, you know, what the kind of dynamic that we had. I mean, there were days in practice where, I mean, it was so competitive and so difficult that um, it wasn't even comparable to some of the games that we played in. Hmm. I mean, that's just how good of a team we are. So, Cynthia, myself, and Cheryl get a lot of attention, but we had some incredible players on our team that, you know, on paper, even though other people weren't familiar, I mean, their history overseas in college. We just had dynamic players as a whole. Well, the other thing, too, is I remember, and I mentioned this to you when I saw you in New York, I was doing some work for Nike at that time, and the Academy National Invitational was taking place, and I'm pretty sure that you did some kind of a community appearance for Nike during that time, and I met you then, but I remember being in Houston, and what a big deal you guys were to that city. Like, you guys were so embraced by the city of Houston. Maybe you can discuss just what that relationship was like between the four-time champion Houston Comets and the city of Houston. Um, they like literally embraced us immediately. I mean, there was such a buzz about our team and they were just so excited. I mean, it wasn't just the people in the city of Houston. It was also the athletes that were there. I mean, the Houston Rockets were incredible you know what I mean and what they had done and you know Charles had just come to the team and there was just an excitement and they were on the heels of winning some championships as well so um it was just a great environment I mean we sold out games on a regular yeah now I I, was like the norm you know what I mean right so it coming into that environment initially, and I know that a lot of the other teams in the WNBA had a vibe as well, but, I mean, the city was just rocking and so supportive of just their sports teams and um, w- wanting to see us do well. And they showed that and how they showed up and supported us every day. So with that being said, I have to tell you, and I'm sure you felt the same way, I was absolutely shocked. I think it was 2008 when the team was put up for sale, and then you probably know a lot more about this than I do, but ultimately the team had to fold. And I was like, wait a minute, this is a four-time championship team. They had some of the greatest players in league history. It's backed by the NBA. How can this happen? 
Um, I'm not sure. I mean, when Les Alexander decided that he wanted to um, focus solely on the Rockets and not continue to have a WNBA team, it was more a matter of, you know, the next person that decided to take over the team being able to do so. Yeah, and that didn't happen. So it, and it didn't happen, and, you know, that's the reality of it. I mean, our um, owner at the time, I think that he did the best he possibly could, you know, with um, basically where he was in regards to the team. But, you know, sometimes you could be a great business owner and um, not necessarily understand the dynamic of having a sports team if you haven't had one before. And I think that it was just a matter of that. I mean, good-hearted intentions, but the reality is it was very difficult. Yeah. So a big topic. Yes, uh, it is expensive, and and let's talk about that for a minute because a big topic in our world today, Tina, and you know I think I told you I have a thirteen year old daughter, I have four sisters, um, equal pay, right? It's being discussed. It was on sixty minutes last night, and Salesforce CEOs are talking about it. It's also being discussed in sports, and we've seen some progress made in the last five or six years, led by people like Serena Williams. So at Grand Slams, women are making as much as men on the tennis court. We've seen U.S. soccer take a stand and say, you know, women's team demands to be paid as much as men. Are we making progress here? Because I'm one of those in the camp that says, if you're doing the same amount of work, you deserve the same amount of pay as a man. And I think we're making some progress, but we have a long way to go. What do you think? I think that it's a process. I think that, um, you know, I just, I kind of liken it back to, you know, when I was in high school and um, huge Los Angeles uh, Showtime Laker fan. And um, I remember being in high school and that was in the early 90s. Um, Magic Johnson getting a contract for 10 years, $10 million. Right. And everyone thought that that was the most incredible thing. Like, are you kidding me? Magic Johnson, literally, he's getting $10 million for 10 years, which literally is a million dollars a year. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But everyone thought it was the biggest contract ever, and it was the most un- unbelievable thing. That was the NBA. So the strides that the NBA has made, like, since then, <laughs> yeah, nowhere near comparable. You know what I mean? And I think it's going to take the the same uh, attitude and the same pro- uh, progress for the WNBA. What we think, and unfortunately, we're in a time where the NBA had years to get to where they were or, or where they are now. I believe the WNBA is in that process, and we have to continue to work. We have to continue to present a great product, and we have to continue to make people believe. Because if you look back, I mean, the early 90s, it wasn't very long ago. So when you think about the numbers, I mean, it's unfathomable, you know? And I'm feeling the same thing about us. Great strides. We're now getting television. ESPN has embraced the league, and we're no longer paying to have TV coverage. 
DirecTV is now actually paying to be a part of the league with the addition of now Nike being um, the league sponsor for apparel and shoes. It's a move in the right direction. No, I totally agree with you. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, going back to your comment earlier, the the top players in the WNBA are making six figures. There's no one making a million dollars. And then I even see, you know, for years, Diana Taurasi, uh, Kelsey Plum, who came into the league last year. Like when you're not playing in the WNBA, you're going and playing overseas to earn additional money. That, that, that you know, right. the, obviously, LeBron James and James Harden don't have to go overseas to earn extra money during their off season. So I think, like you said, it is a process, but. You know, the the WNBA players are not making nearly what the NBA players are making. And, I mean, also, I mean, the fans in the WNBA are also not paying those ticket prices to watch a WNBA game. I mean, the reality is is that it is a business. And, of course, I want us to be paid, you know, tons of money. But the reality is, is that it is a business. And no business will be viable or good if you're paying out more money than you actually make. No, it's it's very true. You're coaching now at uh, University of Texas, associate head coach. How do you like that, and what are you trying to instill in your players? Um, I, I literally just pour into my players um, my experience um, in hopes that they grow from my process. A lot of them have the the same goals and things that I have accomplished already. So being that I have a head start in the sense that I have accomplished the things that they ultimately want to do, um, it helps me in just kind of helping them along the process, and they embrace it. So it definitely makes my job a lot easier. I mean, anytime you've done what um, someone is trying to do, they are much more open to listening and instruction. So it's been a quite easy product uh, process and transition for me, and uh, I'm enjoying it fully. Yeah, you've got the street cred with the players because you've, you've done it, and like you said, you've gone where they want to go. So I have a 13-year-old daughter. She plays sports, mostly soccer. But what advice would you give to young girls, whether they want to play soccer, basketball, tennis, softball, who – want to play either collegiately or maybe even professionally. I, you know, I go back to the story you just told of little Tina Thompson on the playground, outdoors, the boys are playing inside. Like, what do girls need to do today to get to that path where maybe just getting a college scholarship is a big accomplishment for them? Um, I, I literally think that they have to approach it the same way. Um, they approach anything that they want to be successful in. Like, you have to put in the time and work, you know? I mean, often we talk about in regards to little boys, like how much they um, spend, you know, playing sports and how much time they pour into it, and that's all they want to do. The reality is those things are what makes you good at it. You have to do it over and over and over. You have to practice Every single day, like you have to put in the time, like there is no substitution for the work. The work is what creates the opportunity. 
So that drive, you can't teach that either, right? You know, the drive that you had practicing on the, the outdoor concrete court, you got to have that, that inner fire to get to that level too, right? You, you have to decide what you're willing to give to sport, and that is what you'll get out of it. I think the sports are very giving in the sense that if you give to it, then it will most definitely give back to you. And I believe that for anyone. If you want to achieve a certain goal when doing anything, but we're talking about sports that you have to dedicate the time, you have to dedicate the effort um, in order to get better at it. And if you don't do that, I don't think that it's possible. I don't think that you are... Um, that you'll get you'll get better at it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, before I let you go, so you're coaching at University of Texas. I know you're still an ambassador for the WNBA. What mm-hmm. else do you have going on in your life for the people who are like, yeah, catching up with Tina Thompson? What else is she doing? Uh, I have a 12 year old son, so I mean, I'm basically uh, raising him. So I mean, my job is pretty demanding. So I am doing that, um, but also, you know, making time for Dylan. So when I'm not working, um, all of my time is basically basically de- dedicated to him. That's great. It's good to be a good parent. That will leave a legacy for a long, long time. Have you figured out who's going to introduce you uh, at the Hall of Fame in September? Yeah, my two favorite players of all time, Magic Johnson and Cheryl Miller. Wow. That is, I mean, think about that. Like you just said, growing up a Lakers fan in Los Angeles, being the little girl on the court, concrete outside, that is pretty amazing that your two favorite basketball players of all time, both Hall of Famers themselves, are going to be introducing you. I would get goosebumps as I was walking up to the stage if I were you. Uh, I mean, I have goosebumps now. (laughs) I don't even talk about it much just because I totally get emotional. So, you know, I'm kind of slowly but surely trying to prepare myself. And thank goodness it's about six months away because I'm going to need that time to just wrap my head around it. Yeah, that's going to be an emotional night. But what a fitting tribute to you. You know, when I think about the WNBA, I think about you. Uh, before there was Diana Taurasi or Sue Bird or anyone, there was you. You were the first ever pick by the league. Uh, I just think you are a pro's pro. You conduct yourself so well on and off the court. And, you know, I was happy to see you last week because I think the new players like the Asia Wilsons and the people who are coming into the league, like you said, they can learn a lot from you. And it's good to see that you're still mentoring them today and uh, helping the players at the University of Texas as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at I am Tina Thompson. Tina, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. Uh, I know Coach Fizz cannot wait to be there. And I so appreciate you taking the time for this interview. And I wish you the best of success going forward. Brian, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio is brought to you by MKTG. MKTG is a leading global lifestyle and marketing agency with 33 offices in 19 countries, including sports centers of excellence in New York, Paris, Madrid, Melbourne, and Tokyo. 
MKTG specializes in delivering strategic business-oriented marketing solutions for leading brands via sport and entertainment marketing, live experiences, retail marketing, hospitality, B2B engagement, and sponsorship marketing. Visit the MKTG website at mktg.com and review their insightful findings as part of their Decoding 2.0 study. Decoding 2.0 solidifies the need for a shift in thinking when selecting and marketing sport and lifestyle sponsorships. This unique study arms brand marketers with the quantitative data they need to specifically target those consumers most open to brand messaging and sponsorship, as well as provides a specific roadmap that identifies those tactics likely to produce the most receptive fans. Until now, the sponsorship industry has focused more on fan passion and avidity to identify sponsorships and develop activation strategies. Decoding 2.0 reveals the need to also understand the importance of fan receptivity. Follow MKTG on Twitter at MKTG. We'll bring MKTG's expertise to life during future segments on Sports Business Radio, so stay tuned for those. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Great conversation with Tina Thompson, just one of the legends of women's sports. Always great to catch up with her. Some great stories there. Uh, Griggs, NBA playoffs have started. Opening weekend, TV ratings on ESPN and TNT up 17%. The NBA is on fire right now. And the thing about the matchups, Griggs, is that even though you have like a one versus eight, Houston versus Minnesota or Toronto versus Washington, there's a lot of parody in the NBA. Like it used to be if an eight beat a one, it was like a monumental 16 beating a one in the NCAA tournament. Now, not so much. So it really makes it compelling. I think it's great. And I, I agree. I mean, I binge watched all weekend long. That's all I did. And it was great. And you're right. I think the, the matchups don't, the numbers on the team don't really matter. The one and eight doesn't matter. It felt very competitive. Yeah. The three and sixes were competitive. It, and that's fun because I feel like any team is involved and can win the games. And we saw our, the all-stars showed up. I mean, Harden was crazy. Man. Durant was crazy. Uh, it's fun just watching the all-stars when they clicked that next level and you're like, okay, it's playoff time. It's fun. And you know, the thing that I was really interested in is this year has been a great rookie class and I wanted yeah. to see what does Ben Simmons look like what does Donovan Mitchell look like what does Jason Tatum look like like it's one thing to do it in the regular season yeah. let me see what you've got in the postseason and these guys stepped awesome. up big they've got big game and you know they're all special players Ben Simmons is really amazing so another thing that I'm going to be watching closely you know as we record this Cleveland's down one nothing to Indiana if by chance, and I can see it happening, the Cavs lose to the Pacers, or LeBron doesn't make it back to his, what, ninth NBA Finals in a row or whatever it is, what does that do to the TV ratings? What does it do to interest in the Finals? Is LeBron, you know, Tom Brady-esque in that if the Patriots and Tom Brady aren't in the Super Bowl, I don't care as much? Or are people going to go, wow, I really want to see a new team like the Philadelphia 76ers or the Toronto Raptors or someone like that in there? LeBron has had his time, but let me see someone new in there. Or even if Golden State doesn't make it, I mean, let's say it was a Houston-Philadelphia or Houston-Toronto NBA Finals. Will that have the same appeal as what we've seen the last few years with Cleveland and Golden State with the megastars? Me, personally, I think it's great to have a different team in every once in a while. I think yeah. it's fun. And, I mean, not to say LeBron's not going to kill it, but, I mean, game one, it, they struggled. 
but it's game one. You never know. There's a lot of games ahead of them. So, I mean, I think it'd be cool to have a Toronto in the finals or a Philly. And I agree that the rookie class has been phenomenal. I mean, Don, uh, Mitchell came out and went like five for five in his first playoff game. He's crazy. I mean, these rookies are, are coming to play, and that's fun. That makes it fun because you got new faces to watch. So I think it's it's awesome. I mean, this is a deeper conversation, but these guys play so much basketball growing up, AAU, high school, college, that by the time they get to the NBA – they're pretty seasoned. Like, yeah. they've played in front of crowds before. They've played on TV before. They act like they've been there before. And some of the new players that we just mentioned, they're phenomenal. And even, you know, young guys like we're in Portland, like a Damian Lillard, his, you know, he came out of Weber State. So they weren't on TV, but he's acted like he's ready for the moment from day one. So uh it's interesting. I think the NBA... If I had to buy stock in any of the U.S. pro sports leagues going forward, I'm buying the NBA more than any other. They've grown their game internationally. Griggs, they have handled the whole uh, non-sports conversation better than anyone else. And I really think that Adam Silver, a few years ago, when he first became commissioner, and you had that pivotal moment early on in his tenure with Donald Sterling and the fact that he booted Sterling out of the league, and he supported the players and is known as a friendly commissioner with the players. And they got their collective bargaining agreement solved without any, you know, long negotiation. Those are the reasons that the NBA is on the upswing. And you look at leagues like the NFL where there's arguments with the players. They've got a bloody collective bargaining agreement coming up soon. You know, baseball, the games are a little too long. NHL, they're not seen widely enough. Boy, the NBA, that's the league I'm betting on. And yes, I'm biased because I used to work in the NBA. But I just think I was in their offices last week. And the things that they're doing are so progressive and innovative. But at the core of it, besides being technologically advanced and promoting their game around the world, the owners, the commissioner, the players, they all seem to be on the same page. And the NBA does a better job of any league at kind of creating the superhero. It used to be Air Jordan, the mailman, Sir Charles. Now it's, you know, King James and it's the beard. And those things have, have progressed over time. And now when the playoffs come, I, I tell you, some of these teams like the Oklahoma City Thunder, you look at them and you're like, all right, they just coasted through the regular season. Now you flip the switch. Even Golden State, you can tell the effort has been taken up five or ten notches in the playoffs. Yeah, that's the fun part of it. And I think you're right. I think a happy family is makes the league work. Right. And everybody's happy right now or seems to be happy. And you're right, they're progressive. They're doing new stuff. They're expanding the brand outside the world more and more, uh, outside the United States, I mean. And uh it shows, and I think you're right. Playoff time, it's going to be. It doesn't surprise me the ratings are up already. It just doesn't. I think it's going to just keep growing because I think it's it's compelling basketball. It's fun. You got the all stars. You got the rookies, and it's just it's fun to watch. All right, we'll save this. I said on Twitter at the beginning of the playoffs at SB Radio, Golden State, Philly. That's my finals. Who do you have? I got Toronto, Houston. Wow. Yeah. See, usually we agree on everything, like the Super Bowl and everything, so I'm so happy that we have completely, completely. different <laughs> predictions here. Yeah. I just, you know, James Harden's having a, a generational season. Um, the things he's doing on the court are amazing, but I just don't believe in he and Chris Paul yet in the playoffs. They haven't shown me that That's true. in the playoffs, and Golden State's been there, and I really think Golden State kind of sandbagged it. Yeah. 
And as long as they don't have another injury and Steph comes back in round two, I think Golden State is still the team to beat, and I would take them in a seven-game series. Even having to play a game seven on the road in Houston, I think they have that championship pedigree that Houston doesn't have yet. Um, And then I think Cleveland's going out. I don't know if it's going to be round one, but I think their defense is terrible, Mm -hmm. and I don't think LeBron can depend on anyone else on that team offensively, and I think they stand around a lot and just watch him do his thing. So... I like Philly. I know they're hot and they're the the kind of sexy pick right now, but I really do think they've got this blend of players, young and veteran. You know, things that aren't talked about, and, and then we'll wrap this up, but at the deadline when you can sign players, they go out and get Marco, Bellin- Marco Bellinelli. They go out and get, you know, some other guys that aren't like the A-list guys, but guys you know, Elisova, that they can really make a difference. And they've got an inside-outside game. They've got bigs who can shoot the three. They can push it inside to Joel Embiid. And Ben Simmons can get to the basket whenever he wants and has really Magic Johnson type of vision on the court. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I, I Toronto, I love their fan base. I love that they just... We the North. Yeah, I just... Something about them, they just, they seem like they're clicking this year, and I don't know, I, I love, uh, I love the DeRozan and, um, Lowry. Lowry yeah, I pairing. love them too. They're great. They had an interview before the game. There's, they, you can tell they're buds. They like each other. They right. feed well off each other. So I like that, that thing. But I agree. I mean, Philly is, they got something else going. I mean, they're next level, and that'd be fun to have them in too. I think they're, uh, they're a growing team and they're a young team, and it's fun to watch them. So, I mean, and I think Golden State, Houston, and Western Conference will be an epic seven game series. I think that'll be a battle all the way every game. So that'll be fun to see. That's my prediction. But yeah, I think Houston and uh, Toronto. All right, and I've got Golden State Philly. We'll see what happens. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. Thanks to our friends at MKTG. You can find them on Twitter at MKTG. Their website is mktg.com. They're a global lifestyle marketing agency, 33 offices in 19 countries, a leading sports sponsorship and activation agency. Make sure to check them out at mktg.com. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audioboom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and, of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Bringing you the biggest names in sports business. Without further ado, we all know this gentleman. Let's give David Stern a big round of applause. Let's welcome the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmer. Give him a hand. Let's give a big hand to USC alum and co-owner of the Lakers and president of the Lakers, Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. Thank you so, so much for having me, Brian. It was very, very kind, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Sir Charles, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing this morning? Today's guest is Memphis Grizzlies head coach David Fisdale. You're the man, Barry. My guest is tennis icon Chris Albert. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Pleased to welcome to the show 
Kyrie Irving, the number one pick in the 2011 NBA Draft. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be joined by Pete Carroll, the executive VP of football operations and the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.